All right. Chris Lee, Luke Wyatt, Billy Derrick here. Uh, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We're doing this Wednesday morning, November the 8th. And, and boys, we got a lot to talk about. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, before we begin today's news presented by the Wash House. Are you dreading laundry day? Is it stealing time from the things you do that you truly enjoy? Let the laundry professionals at the Wash House take care of that for you with two convenient locations in the greater Nashville area. Just drop off your dirty laundry. Our professional attendants can give you back the one thing you can never have enough of, and that's your time. Within 24 hours, you can pick up your nicely folded, fresh and clean laundry ready to be put away. Check out www.washhouseclean.com. Stop in today. Get your time back. Uh, Wash House also sponsors basketball season, which did not exactly get off to a rousing start last night with a loss to Presbyterian. We'll get into that shortly. Um, Luke joins us on the guest line that is brought to you um, by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Studio, presented by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, a family-owned third-generation milk and ice cream distribution company located in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. They've got partnerships with Purity Dairy, uh, haagen Mayfield Nestle. You can find them in northern Alabama, Chattanooga, North Georgia. Uh, boy, we, we need some ice cream this morning. <laughs> We, we might have to do ice cream for breakfast this morning. All, all, the, all the listeners <laughs> may have to do ice cream for breakfast this morning. Um, because, boy, Vandy fans need to pick me up after after the last five days of of athletic action, Billy. You know, it, isn't it interesting, Chris? You go through a football season like this, and Luke, you both of you guys have, have seen this throughout, uh, you know, the, the history of Vanderbilt athletics. You go through a football season like this one. Right. And, and and mentally, fans have probably been checked out for the last two to three weeks, maybe even longer, probably longer. Um, and then you have this anticipation for basketball and this buildup. And, and there was excitement. I think there was hope, you know, reasonably so. And then about an hour before the game, you realize that Tyrod Lawrence and Ben Allen Lubin and Lee Dort all will not play. And so all of a sudden it starts that, you know, the curse comes back. And, you know, it was. It was almost par for the course. I, I hate saying that, but it, it, it almost was, Chris, in a, in a weird way, uh, especially in the Stackhouse era. So we were there, Joey and I were there, and we we couldn't believe it. I mean, the fact that Vanderbilt lost to a team that won five games last year and went one in seventeen in their conference, they ranked three fifteen in the net. They just got they might be in the they might have broken three hundred after that one last night, but just unexplainable, guys. I mean unacceptable and you've said that a lot in the stackhouse era well yeah you can't even you know last year and chris and i went over this several times billy you know you can't lose to grambling uh Mm -hmm. and it wound up i don't know that it was the grambling loss or the southern miss loss or whatever it was that cost us not getting the ncaa tournament because the sad part about last year we won 22 games which was the most we'd won in over a decade but yet your reward was the NIT because of what happened in the non-conference. Now, I don't agree with the net. I don't. But what happened last night, there's no excuse for that. I don't care if all five starters were out. There's no excuse for that. Um, you could tell that uh, – and I watched – I was at the game. 
watch Coach Stackhouse more than I watched the game probably and watched his body language and how he sits there and with his towel and make sure his suit looks good and all that. That's fine. But he never felt like we were going to lose the game. You could tell it by looking at him until they hit three straight threes and they got up by double digits. And it was like you poured ants down his back. I don't look why you put yourself in that situation. I don't know. No one wants to lose. No one wants to have such a horrible showing that what they had last night where they wouldn't go. Look, I'm a 63 year old man. I weigh 240 pounds and I could have got to the rim last night. That's how bad the defense was to me. Shooting comes and goes. Okay. You can have bad shooting nights, but when you yeah. defend that and he tried to explain it away in his post game with the, gap integrity of the defense and this and that bull crap that was ridiculous there was it was awful and i know we don't have a rim protector i know that but all those guys were six five and six six so anyway enough about that we got a lot to talk about but that's my feelings on last night I i think my favorite part of this sports season is when i'm with billy and Joey and and they just look at me after games and like how do you do this like boys welcome <laughs> to my world guys it's, it's been a, it's yeah, been, mo- a, been a most of the time most of the time Chris is calm and cool collected and me and Joey are either we're either laughing or smiling confused like you know we're all emotional Chris is just kind of calm cool collected you know no, nothing's wrong over here <laughs> it's it's background noise at this point honestly and, and i, I it, it's sad it, it really is it, it's sad to see what has happened to this basketball program i mean we people just kind of expect football to be bad and and it's <laughs> that's another topic um i, I there's I, I could talk for two hours uninterrupted right now and i won't but let me give you a few facts of interest from last night Presbyterian College, 955 students. Uh, That is half the size of Trevecca, which has 1,867. Uh, So you just got beat by a school half the size of Trevecca. People make a lot out of Ken Palm and net ratings this time. And and look, they're guesstimates, right? Mm -hmm. The way Ken Palm does his, as I'm sure he accounts for roster talent and what it did elsewhere, and they also account for the last few years running, although I do wonder how how many adjustments and how accurate you can be when it's so composed of portal. Like, if you did this 10 years ago, you could probably say, hey, um, you know, Kansas is ranked between 1 and 10 each of the last 10 years or whatever the numbers would be. And um, Holy Cross is ranked between 200 and 275, and that's your baseline of expectations. So that's a lot of what's built into this. Uh, but – Ken Palm ratings, final Ken Palm ratings for Presbyterian the last 10 years, starting with last year going backwards. Uh, 344, 263, 326, 335, 179. I looked it up. The coach that won 179, I'm thinking, this guy probably bagged that and got out of there. He did to Appalachian State. 334, 350, 328, 326, 349. Now, there are currently 362 Division I teams. Some of those years, that has been closer to 350. Um, That is the history of the program that beat Vanderbilt last night. Furthermore, uh, the team last night that beat Vanderbilt lost its last 18 games in last season in the Big South. Uh, The highest-ranked Ken Palm team that it played in that, I think, was 149. 
Uh, so you barely a team or two in that slate that was in the top half nationally at Ken Palm lost 18 in a row in the season, uh, had not won a game in 2023 until last night. And oh, by the way, mm-hmm. lost the two leading scores off that team, whether that's addition by subtraction or, <laughs> or, or made the team worse. I don't know. Point is we should never be having this conversation and look Vanderbilt play without Tyron Lawrence. Vanderbilt played without Vin Allen Lubin. Uh, Vanderbilt played without Lee Dort. But come on. Yeah. Yeah, and they said that after the game, both Mignon and, and Stackhouse, right? They, they they admitted they had enough, and you should have enough. Uh, as you said, Luke, you should be able to beat this team with, you know, with your walk-ons. I mean, you know, I think us three could have been at, could have been out there and, you know, maybe, maybe had a shot. You know, I mean, that, that's how, like, historically bad the, this, this program, Presbyterian, was and is. I mean, they've never been good. They're they were predicted nine ninth out of nine teams in the Big South. I mean, they're they're the seller of that conference. So I don't even really know. Chris, is there any comparison to this? I mean, I know I think you tweeted this is the worst loss in the history of Vanderbilt basketball. And and Luke, well, I know you you've seen some bad losses, but I mean, does anything come close? Uh, this is go ahead, Luke, and then I'll I'll give you my answer. I, I, you know, I go back to the seventies. I'm an old fart. Uh, I've seen a few bad losses in non-conference. You know, I remember the year we went to sweet 16, we lost to Furman and Furman was not a good team that year. Um, and then of course last year, and then there's been others. Uh, we lost to the Citadel one time, I think. Uh, but the, the thing that gets me is like you said, you've got, you've, uh, You've arranged for the students to be in the building. So you've got 1,500 students. There's maybe 5,000 at max in the gym. But it was a good atmosphere, like you said, Billy. And then to come out, and, I, you know, I hate to point it out, for the first five minutes was pretty good. Camateros hit a couple of threes. You felt like, okay, we're going to be, we'll win this game by 20 points or 15 points, and everything will be fine. But when I saw the defensive effort, and they can say all well, they want to, all it was, the, it wasn't lack of effort. Either you didn't practice, it was so disjointed on offense when Ezra went out, never recovered from any of that. And how you can be that way, I know they've been practicing, we've been practicing. That looked like a team that wanted to win, cared about the result, and our team looked like they didn't care. And if you if you have that going on in game one, out of the shoot, I don't understand that. I didn't understand last year. Now, let me stop and say this. Again, you know, and we say, well, the season's over. No, it's not. You got 30 games left. Are we going to lose all 30? No. But if you have efforts like that that are sprinkled in your season, there's something wrong with the way you're – the message. There's something wrong with the message. Yeah. And that's got to change. Whether we have – Guys hurt, three guys hurt, or whatever it may be. And, you know, fans wonder why, maybe across the country, why hasn't Vanderbilt and Stackhouse broken through? Why, why have they not, you know, been able to make the tournament? Why why have they struggled? This is why. Games like this. I mean, you lose to Presbyterian. You lose to Grambling. You lose to Southern Miss, right? I know they've they've got SEC losses, too, but those are, you know, those are explainable to some sort. There are just too many unexplainable losses in this era. And, I mean, they 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 keep happening. Game one, opening night, boom. <laughs> there it is. After an offseason of, of all this talk about, 
you know, do as the Romans do, right? You know, we're, we're going to, we're going to quote, beat the hell out of everybody. He said that at SEC media days. And, and I know he, he came back and said, he kind of walked it back a little bit, but still, I mean, that was a focus this off season. It had to be. And to come out here in game one opening night and look like that, there's, there are no excuses for that. Well, what's, what's really more inexplicable to me is how do you do what you did later on in the year? When you look like one of the best teams in the country, beat Kentucky twice, beat Tennessee, beat Auburn, how does it go from this to that? That I don't understand that. I, I've never seen that in my history of Vanderbilt in basketball. Never. If the Romans had two really good guards and one of them wasn't playing and the other one got his second foul with, I don't know, what was it, 16 minutes and three seconds left in the Four first half, the whatever it yeah. was. Would the Romans have benched the, the second guy for 16 minutes? I mean, explain something to me. Is there something magic that happens at halftime that makes fouls come off the board? Or is there something magic that happens in the final couple of minutes that makes you more more likely to foul You know, at the end of the first half than the first of the second half? I, I, I get it. I, I get that's what coaches do. Well, I mean, that's what – okay, well, you know. A few hundred years ago, we thought the world was flat, and 200 years ago, doctors bled patients when they were sick. Yeah. yeah. You know, Is that the hill we're going to die on? Yeah, I guess, because, you know, you think, Chris, we all think Rick Barnes is a good coach at Tennessee. He does the same thing. If you get two fouls, you sit the wow. whole – I don't know. Rick Barnes has also assembled a little bit higher of floor than his Jerry Stackhouse. Well, well, you make, and, and see, that's the, problem, that's the problem with Vanderbilt Athletics in a nutshell last night. You think things that are not fatal other places are, are incredibly fatal event right. because you your margin for error is, is that big and I'm I'm touching my my fingers together. There's not even a space between them. You can get away with bad decisions other places, and, and that that is the that that should be the the, the mantra of Vanderbilt Athletics is like we cannot afford to make any mistakes because we've already shrunk our margin for error with everything. And look, you know this applies to Clark Lee too. There's a lot of stuff we can't say on this podcast today that probably needs to be said that that, that can't be. And and that is just how Van, and that that is the problem of Vanderbilt Athletics in a nutshell. Yeah, you some other places they would do that. At no other place has, has everything that that I've been cast with this and that to where when you make a mistake, uh somewhere else, okay, it's the difference between winning by 25 and 18 at Vanderbilt's the difference between a win and a loss. Well, only thing I'll say to that is it shouldn't be a margin against Presbyterian. That shouldn't matter. Yeah. It shouldn't. If it no. does, then you, we ought to go 0 and 31 if that's the case. Cause, and, and I, again, I don't, I don't want to knock Presbyterian, but if you can't beat them with any five guys you've got on your roster mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. We ready for the mailbag? Let's do Why it. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Let's do it. Mailbag is brought to you by Sutherland and Belk, longest running sponsor uh, of VandySports.com. Uh, give Taylor or Russell a call. And Chris, I am frantically pulling that ad read up. I always lose it. Well, while, while uh, I, I'll tell you what. You pull the mailbag. I'll, I'll do the ad reads. Uh, Sutherland <laughs> Belk is our longest running sponsor. Taylor Southern, Sutherland, Russell Belk great human beings um if you have been hurt in an accident give taylor russell a call 
6,200, see what your rights are and if they can help. Um, guest line um, is presented by John Levin and the Maynard Nexon Government Contacts or Contracts Group. Excuse me. That, that trips me up every time. They advise government contractors on all aspects of their needs, a proud focus on matching legal solutions to business needs. They got their very own Chris Lee, um, who frankly might have ideas on how to fix things at this point, because all of them have been <laughs> tried at this point. Get, get somebody else. Uh, that's what I got today. No, in all seriousness, we we really appreciate our sponsors. Um, Look, I, I'll just be honest. When, when Vanderbilt Athletics struggles, we struggle too. Not just for words, but it's it, it's that's another. It, it's just getting the, the fan base has gotten so small, guys. You've seen it at football and basketball. There just aren't many people left who care, um, and, and so we appreciate those who do because they help make these things possible. So, uh, big thank you to all four of our sponsors. All right, Billy. I don't. I don't even know how you want to attack the mailbag because it is all over the place. It was twenty three, twenty four questions when I looked an hour ago. It may be forty three now. Uh, but I'll I'll let you direct that where you may. Gotcha. Well, uh, we'll start with with Stackhouse uh, here. GLH four view. I think this was the first first question <laughs> right when you put it up, Chris. GLH four view asks, how does Jerry Stackhouse keep his job? And I don't mean what does he have to do but how does Candace Story Lee not fire him? Also, do we trust Candace Story Lee to have to, to have to make a men's basketball head coaching hire? Here's what I've got on that. Um, like Luke said, it's opening night. They're, they're not making a move after the opening night loss. So that, you know, that, that's, that's, that's out of the equation. Now, we've seen firings, you know, whether it's mid-season or late in the season, we've seen those before, right? In every sport, that happened. I mean... You know, that happens in college football. It's, it's rare, especially at Vanderbilt. It's rare. I'm not, not sure if that's even ever happened at, at Vanderbilt. So I, I think that's most likely out of the question, too. I think if this team doesn't make the NCAA tournament, they have a case to make a change. And I think we've said that, Luke. I think you've said that. I think that's sort of the uh, I think that's the connotation. That's that's the sentiment out there right now. And I'm going to stick with that. So but tonight, I mean. You know, I told Joey it was hot last night in Memorial. We we were sweating through our shirts up there in the crow's nest, and I said uh, the seat just got hotter too. It just got a lot hotter around this program, um, and that, so a win like that certainly doesn't help. Obviously, I think it maybe if anything it, it accelerates it and kind of intensifies everything. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, Chris, obviously they're not making a move after that. Luke, it's just a matter of time when. No, uh, I've said it before, and uh, I get a lot of pushback in football that five years is a watermark for most coaches in football, basketball, baseball, whatever it may be. And at Vanderbilt, because of the disadvantages that most coaches have, I agree with that. And this is year five for Coach Stackhouse. I'll say the same thing in year five for Coach Lee. If you're not progressing and your program doesn't show that you are a uh, NCAA bubble team or in the NCAA this year, because it's year five, or if Clark is not at six and five or six and six by year five, then you need to change because five years, that's, that means you've got your entire, your, your handprints are all over it. It's your baby. It's what you've put out there. It's for everyone to see. 
So year five, in my opinion, if Coach Stackhouse doesn't make the tournament, unless five guys are out for the year or something crazy happens, which at Vanderbilt that could very well happen, but then he, then we should move on. Luke, I got a question for you. Sure. Four major sports, both basketballs, baseball, football. When's the last time Vanderbilt made a good hire with a coach? It's a good question. I mean, I don't, I don't know. You know that everyone, James Franklin, of course, the three years, um, 20, 2010, right? Yeah. So, so that was twenty ten. Um, Kevin Stallings for seventeen years was nineteen ninety eight. That back, um, women's well, basketball. Melanie Balkum was a good hire toward the end of her. She fell off, but she had success. And then, of course, Tim Corbin. So what? what's the, what's the so, early? So the answer is 2009, yeah. 2010, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Who's, well, who's making the hire this time? Well, it better not be who's in the athletic director because that's, I don't think, and personally, and this is my opinion, I don't think she should be making any major hires. Uh, she does. She learned from David Williams. Everything she does is basically what David. I mean, she's been running the athletic department since 2016, folks. Y'all don't know that, but she has making decisions. Now, obviously, David would step in, and I'm sure they talked to each other about things the last couple of years. Uh, but she made. She was pulling the strings and she ran the department and everybody that worked there knew it. Everybody. Okay, people will go push back on that. How do you know that's true? Well, because I was in the building. I worked in it every day. I went to meetings. And when I when I was talking to who my at my time, my associate AD, he would say, Well, we got to run it through Candace. We got to run it up the flagpole for Candace. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought David Williams was our athletic director. And I even said that one time in a meeting and got looks like Luke. Why would you say that? So I know she was, I mean, it's, it's simple. It was obvious when you work with someone all day long and you see them and you see what they do and you hear what's going on in meetings and she, look, she ran the show. She can take credit for the good things that happen, but she also got to take, uh, take the, uh, the blame for thing when things weren't going right. And, I'm, I, I, let me say this too. She's not alone in athletic directors that have been poor at Vanderbilt. In my opinion, Roy Kramer is the only one that every day when he walked in that building was trying to make Vanderbilt better in every way in athletics. That was it. None of the rest of them did. They had agendas for other things. This time, if it's if 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 Daniel Deermeyer doesn't see this. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we should be blaming Daniel for the last couple of years. I don't know. I don't think so. But you have to look. If you're in Kirkland, in your ivory tower, you better look over there at, at athletics and say, okay, we got all these cranes over here. And we're building these nice facilities now. You're, you're missing out on the big point. All the ancillary stuff doesn't matter anymore. It's W's. And if you don't get them, it doesn't matter what you build. And I, yeah, think, I think go go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. And and I think that you need an experienced athletic director 
that has been at a power five possibly, or someone that cares. I mean, you got to, you know, and I hate to always throw Tim Corbin out there, but Tim Corbin is not going to settle for that junk. Have you ever, and Chris, I know you've seen this. You've seen when we got beat by a, by a bad, say, Belmont team or a bad Lipscomb team and how Tim Corbin is. Yeah. I didn't see that last night in Jerry Stackhouse. Yes, that's a good point. Director, when I got – let me just say this. I ran into our athletic director after the game against Auburn Saturday. I walked onto the elevator. She's standing behind me. She's smiling. Hello. I'm in a bad mood because we just lost. Now, I'm not a jerk. It's not the end of the world. It's a ball game. I get that. But how can you be smiling when you just got your butt kicked again and you're the athletic director? You should be taking the steps instead of getting on the elevator, smiling at people and patting them on the back and say, thanks for coming. You should be, what can we do to make this better? That's just my opinion. That's all it is, an opinion. Look, you know this as much as anybody. They make it about the personalities. And you're either with them or you're for them. And if you're not for them, you're you're part of the pro- – and, and winning and losing is is secondary. I mean, I, secondary might not even be the word for it. And it's been that way for a while. I mean, look at the end of the 2020 football season. I'm not going to unpack all that again, but it's right out there in front of people. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely correct. I just wish, and this is for people on the board and this is for fans who may watch this that aren't on the board, I just wish you could have been at Vanderbilt when I, at the tail end of my career when I watched what was going on, had seen the efforts that were being made. Did we win all the time? No, under Roy Kramer and, and Todd Turner and Paul Hulahan. No, things weren't great then either. But the efforts were being made, and they were doing everything they could. Being held back on campus was a huge part of that. Not all these coaches are terrible. They're not. But th- they need everything. Like you said a while ago, talking about the margins, they need everything. And, and, and they shouldn't have to worry about, uh, is the air conditioning working? Or is do we have a big enough weight room? Or whatever it may be. That stuff should just be given to them. Here's what you got. You're going to have the best we can give you for these student athletes to succeed. And the one thing that I've heard out of Candace's mouth and a lot of AD's mouth, David Williams' mouth, well, we want the student-athlete experience to be the very best in the entire country. Well, it can't be unless you're winning. And I'm not talking about necessarily championships. I'm talking about being competitive. If you're not doing that, how can the athletic experience and student – how can that be good? No one I, I want to ask you guys something. Uh, I, I was not at the gym last night. Um my, my son had a practice I was watching from my phone. H- how many people were in the gym last night? Maybe 5,000 max. Maybe, okay. yeah. Was that, was that more or less than the number of Vanderbilt fans in attendance for the Auburn football game? Probably about the same. Yeah. How, how, is, how is that part of making the greatest athletic experience? Exactly. For, for your guys. And, and that's that's not been a – I don't know that there's been any focus on on rebuilding the fan base. No, not, not that I can see. There isn't the one thing, and I get a lot of pushback on this, and I'm sure I will after I say this. I've always been of the thought process of look, I don't care if we have to eat the tickets, give them to Boy Scouts, whatever we got to do. 
we're not going to have 20,000 of the other team's fans in our stadium. There's a way to do that. There's a way to do that. And, and if you, if, but it takes effort and it takes a plan. I don't have all the answers. No, but it, that's not fair to our kids. Our kids are the only school probably in the country. There may be a couple other private schools that have nobody at their games, but we're probably the only power five school that never has a home game really, except mm-hmm. maybe when you play Hawaii or Alabama A&M. Well, and it's getting like that for basketball too. There have been times where they've been outnumbered and and that was unthinkable if you grew up in this town in that gym. The only unthinkable before two thousand, I think around two thousand. I'm just guessing at a year here, circa two thousand. That I ever went into Memorial Gym and we had more fans, or you could even hear the other team's fans when we played Kentucky. That was it. Yeah. Nobody, not Tennessee, not Florida, not Bama, none of them. And if there were 3,000 Kentucky fans in the building or 2,500, it felt like it was a big blue invasion. Right. And and now it's hold my beer on that. Well, I want this out. So I know this can be done. Years ago, when the Kentucky fans came, they never, never got tickets down low. They were up in the 3F and 3L. That's the only place they would be. Now it's like, oh, come on in. Come on in, Kentucky. We're glad you're here. We take your money. That's not supporting your student athletes. I'm sorry. Say what you want to. You're not helping your kids win. I've even seen employees of Vanderbilt bring other teams' fans and sit in their seats. Mm. I complain about it, and I get like, oh, Luke, you shouldn't care about that. Oh, yes, I should. If you're working at Vanderbilt getting a paycheck for Vanderbilt, I don't care if you went to University of Florida. You shouldn't be bringing fans in to cheer against the kids that you're working with. Makes no sense. You think that'll happen at Alabama? Okay. Here's, here's here's the problem, and I, I need we need to get on to to the next thing, or, or we're going to be doing a thirteen hour podcast. Um, <laughs> we may start made a telethon. Look, here's the, the here's the thing with Vanderbilt, and it's it's. Vanderbilt's always attacking the critics rather than attacking the problems. That's always where its attention goes first, and that's why everything is where it is. It, it bleeds down to the head coach, um, who I don't see taking a lot of responsibility for things, and and, and here we are. Yep. Here we are, and we got another question. Oh, you want, you want to go look? Go ahead. Go ahead. That's enough. Okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's see here. Bill, I think we're going to have to be selective today. We, we Again, we may want to do a part two next week or something, but uh, and a lot of these I'm sure are going to be repetitive. So, Yeah, a lot of them are repetitive. Let's see here. Maybe here's, a, here's a good one, and, and he's tagging you here, Chris. Baseball bros, since you always do a deep dive into the computer rankings at the end of the season in order to make your predicted bracket, do you think there's any way to really overcome this loss if we are indeed a bubble team. And I, I think that's a good one, Chris. I mean, because Presbyterian net is the, is the tool, right? The net yeah. now. And, and they're three fifteen, and Vanderbilt just lost to them. So what gives? Well, look, I, I, I don't believe this is what's going to happen, but I, I would have never in a million years thought that after Alabama, you know, blew them to Aniston um, in, in that game last year, mm-hmm that they were about to win 10 of 11. So just, just for, look, 
every once in a blue moon, you will see a team, a good team, lose one like this. Uh, I remember, I, I think it was Kansas three, four years ago, lost to a team that was maybe Ken Palm three. I, I could be wrong. I mean, they, they are they are rare. They're like a, a meteor of some size hitting the earth, but they happen. And look, I'm not comparing Vandy to Kansas, but I'm I'm trying to frame the outer side of the discussion here. Yeah, I mean, if they if they go and win a bunch of games, you know, they're eleven and two out of conference, whatever, go five hundred league. W- will it dock them a, a seed line or two? Yeah, it would. Um, I, I think that everybody got hung up on the margin of victory thing last year and, and said it was it was Jerry not blowing teams out. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think they were very good at that time. Yeah. Uh, the, the games they won, when they got in a winning streak, most of them were last possession games. You know, those those are coin flip games. You know, they had years where they wouldn't win any of those games. Last year, the, the law of averages kind of returned, and they started winning a bunch of those games. But they weren't winning them by much. Now, look, I, I've said, I think Vanderbilt and a couple of teams, Wisconsin was one of them. They were outliers. I think – they should have. Boy, is losing his mind over here. They should have thrown some of that out and, and said, "Here's here's a couple outlets." I, I would have put them in the tournament a year ago, but I understand why they didn't. Um, I, I think the big thing that people missed was it wasn't like they were they were beating these teams, uh, just blowing them out by right. 30, 40 points, and then they put in the bench and they end up winning by ten. These games were close last year for the most part, mm-hmm. and they just were what they were. Uh, the, the bigger concern to me is if you're losing to Presbyterian um, in, in your first game, is that a sign of just a, an outlier outcome? Is that a sign of a bad team? If they're a good team, they can get back to the tournament. My concern is they're not a good team. Yeah, we got another. I mean, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll wait and see, but I, I think that's I think that's where people are kind of missing it in all this. And and, and they were they were not a good team the first two and a half months of last season. They just weren't. And good teams tend to play close games against mediocre teams. Then they turned it on, and it was different. But that's how I see it. Well, and the fact that this is game one, right? This feels a li- this feels, you know, like a bad omen for the season. I-, I could be going too far there, but okay. Tyron Lawrence, say Tyron comes back, right? They beat Upstate, whatever. Greensboro is a good team. Boston College is good coming in here. San Francisco is good. They got to go to Memphis. Right, if they play like that, Luke, there's going to be some more non-conference losses. And I looked over at Joey last night, and I said, "They play like this against anybody. I mean, they'll go winless." Right? No, that's not going to happen. You know, Billy, we talked about what constitutes or what should, when should you decide to fire a coach? In my opinion, I said, someone asked me, and I texted back. I don't know. I was bored, so I gave them an answer. They gave me – give me a guess on this team, and I said, I think 19 or 20 wins, 10 wins in non-conference. Well, if this team winds up going seven and six in non-conference or something like that, that's when you take your look and say, okay, look, we probably – before even the conference starts, we need to make a decision here. Right. That's the way I would do it. Because that so, at least your fan base, look, we know now it's almost nearly impossible because Vanbrook won 11 games last year after going seven and six in non-conference and didn't make the tournament. So, you know, basically you've got a huge, huge uh, deficit starting. Right. Con- 
you need new leadership. Because right. if you seven and six in non-conference or something silly like that again, there's no hope to make the tournament. The best you can do is NIT. Very best. Right. Luke, we got a good one here from Godors94. He says, why did he play so many players in the first half after the lessons learned with the net last year? It made no sense. And, and you know, I agree with that. He Before the season, he said he was going to play about 10 to 11 guys. Uh, and that's a, I mean, that's a deep rotation. Uh, but a lot of those guys were freshmen there. At one point in the first half, he's playing four freshmen and a sophomore. Um, I just, I didn't see any sense of urgency. I didn't see, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't, yeah, I just, I just didn't see any attack. Like, we're going to dominate this team. It was just like, oh, we'll, we'll throw these guys out there and we'll be better. No, they, they, you know, it, they proved to be they weren't. It's the old roll the ball out there. We're playing press. Right. We'll win the game. There was no, I, I can't say they don't work hard in practice. I don't know. But you could just tell that between the two teams, the intensity with which one was playing. Mm-hmm. And the intensity and the focus of detail that the other one had it was daylight and dark. Just yeah. take the uniforms out of it. Take Vanderbilt and PC out of it and just put those guys out there in shirts and skins. And you'd be like, what are these guys with the skins doing? They don't even act like they want to be here. Yeah. How can you be so poor on day one of, of a season that's basically you've got to – and he's got to know that he needs to get to the tournament. How you can be so unprepared, uh, and I'm not talking about for the other team because you don't have film on those guys. I get that. But I'm talking about unprepared yourself. You're going to have bad shooting nights. Eight for 33 from three, that's going to happen because this team's going to have to shoot a lot of threes. I get that. That's not it. It's the defensive end and the, uh, the lack of – I mean, guys, if they weren't hitting open threes, they were hitting layups at the basket. That's mm-hmm. – you're not that means you're not guarding anybody anywhere. Yeah, Presbyterian smelled blood and and that's all that's all a team like that needs, right? Sure. All, all, and and they get some belief. Vanderbilt didn't have much belief. Presbyterian second half, you could say they dominated that game, especially second half, which but, was the weirdest without, part about it. Without Ezra, we lose last night by 25. Think Agreed. About, think about yeah. that. Yeah, Stack after the game, Chris, I thought it was interesting. He said, we were lucky to even be in the game. He's right. I he mean, right. One thing he's shooting. right. Yeah, yeah, which kind of I hit mean, me. That, that first like, half, even when they were ahead, it wasn't pretty. I'm thinking, how are you – you know, you're – it's a four, six-point game at halftime with the – and I I didn't think for a minute that the game was going to end the way it did. I thought they'd, they'd figure it out and win by, you know, 20 points, but – that's not what happened. No. Well, it's either uh, one of the things. It's either like I just talked about, Chris, when you stepped away to tend to Oreo. <laughs> it's either one of two he things. He couldn't stand it anymore, guys. He just couldn't take it. He... <laughs> Give us some ice cream. Uh, that <laughs> Either if we do, if we go 10-3 or 11-2 in non-conference, this will be forgotten. If we don't and we go 7-6, like I said, I have no problem with uh, making a move. Here's a good one again from from Godors ninety four. We got a lot of uh, multiple from from the same people here. Um, bigger concern w- with this basketball program: the talent and roster construction, or the in- inability of Stackhouse to respect the preseason games. And that's 
I mean, that's a good one. I mean, I, I, the, the, the roster construction has, has been subpar, maybe even worse. Um, and I think that has contributed to early season struggles. Now, that's today's day and age of college basketball. But I think there's been so much attrition and so many new players coming in every year. There's been zero continuity. And, and I know people come at me and say that's every program. But you've got to have some continuity. I just don't think Vanderbilt ever has really enough in these off seasons. And then they get into the beginning of this season and, and they don't really know how to play together. So I think that has contributed to the, I guess, lack of respect for preseason games. But I think it falls on Stackhouse overall. I mean, this this was treated like an exhibition. This was almost treated like, you know, you're playing, you know, you're playing the local D3 college and no one's watching. You know, that's simply not what this was. This was opening night, right, in, in front of a, a, a sparse crowd, quite frankly. But there was some excitement for a, a good season. And you come out looking like that. Um, that that's a good question, but I, I think... I think the talent and roster construction is a bigger issue because it has contributed to a lot of these early early season struggles. I don't know what you think, Luke. No, I mean, that's a pretty good analysis. I, I, one thing I would say is go back, and no one wants to do this. In fact, I won't. But go back and watch the film of last night's game and watch the effort, the effort on both ends of the floor that Ezra is giving compared to most everybody else on that floor. You'll be shocked. You'll be like, Ezra's playing because he's got money on the game. The rest of these guys bet against us. Now, I'm not saying it was all effort. A lot of it is they don't know where, where to be. Uh, and then you had a – Colin Smith had an awful night. You know, you, you can't have that, especially when you got three guys out. You can't have that against anybody when it's that poor. But just watch the effort that Ezra gives compared to everybody else. He's the only leader out there that I see, period. And he's a good one. I love that kid. But the rest of the – just look at the rest of them and how they looked. through it. I'm not talking – picking on freshmen here. I'm talking about guys that had played. Uh, it's, it's unacceptable. That kind of stuff is unacceptable. You should be – if I was Jerry Stackhouse and I went to that press conference, the first thing I'd do is apologize to the fans, to my team, because I failed my team. Obviously, I didn't get my message didn't come across for you what you guys should do tonight to win a basketball game. He didn't do that. It's just like, oh, okay, we didn't play good. We'll be fine. We'll be this. No, you got to have, and maybe behind the scenes, he is peeling the paint off the wall. I don't know. But you got to look in the mirror on that one to me. All right, we got a football one here to uh, to close this out. And I'm, we haven't talked any football, so. Here we go. Forever gold. What is the most likely scenario at season's end? Defensive coordinator change, offensive coordinator change, or both? I my gut tells me there there will be two changes there. <laughs> um, most likely, I mean, I don't even know if you, I don't even know if I can answer which one needs it more. That I, I think both, uh, you know, both sides of the ball have have underperformed. I think. Um, so I, and I think y'all would agree there, but which of those scenarios would you do if you were head coach? Luke, I don't know if, um, if there's really a clear way to answer that, but you know, we'll get your analysis. Well, in my opinion, and, and again, it's my opinion. I, I don't 
just because I'm friends with Clark and, and like Clark doesn't mean anything. I'm, I'm talking what I and what I think should happen and will happen. I think they'll lose three or four coaches. Some of them may move on, period. But I think three or four will be gone and be asked to be gone. Um, I think you're going to have a head coach that looks at himself in the mirror and says, okay, what have I done to this point? that's made this season a failure where do what how much of it is on me and you look yourself in the mirror and say okay look last year we got to five why did we regress uh i mean i think i know the answer to a lot of that but i'm not going to say it here um and then this and i've said this before the off season the retention of players that you want to keep there the retention of these young guys that are look look very good some of those guys, kids look very promising the retention of those guys, if that doesn't happen and you see a mass exodus and we're not retaining them and you basically go into year four treating it, it's going to look like year one again, then it doesn't matter. And it ain't going to matter who they hire next if, he, if he's gone in five. So the university better sit down and support this coach because he cares. He, You know, people, let's, let's say this right quick. Let's look at Clark Lee and how he feels about Vanderbilt and look at Jerry Stackhouse and how he feels. Do you think there's a difference in how the care level? Oh, yeah, it's not even close. Yes. Okay. You got a guy that's impaled himself on the program. Yeah, the results had not been what we want. None of us, me included. But you at least got a coach that every second when he walks in that door is trying to make them better. So if you if you can catch a guy, whether it's Clark Lee or Joe Blow, that cares about Vanderbilt enough to try to make it better and doing everything in his power to do so, you better hang on to him for dear life. Because Vanderbilt's only had one coach in 100 years that's been a consistent winner. You got to go back to Dan McGugan. All right, I've had enough. Billy, if we put you to sleep, I saw a yawn there. Yeah, this seems to be a, a weekly occurrence. <laughs> Well, here's, here's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer a question with a question. Uh, w- when you start getting rid of people, who are you replacing those people with? Yes, that's um, a good point. Is, is there enough money to make good hires? I, I have a lot of questions about that. I, I don't know if they were founded, if, if somebody's going to get smart and say, we're going to open the checkbook and you know we're going to give you whiz-bang coordinators like the rest of the league has. I, do, I do not know the answer to that, but to me that's – and, and maybe there's a circle back on some bigger picture things when we in the, in the show here in a minute, but that's my thought on it. Guys. I don't know if y'all saw Washington state's head coach. Uh, I think his name is his name. Jake, Jake Dickert. Yeah. Jake yes. Dickert uh, came out and said uh, something really interesting about, you know, NIL and how they have just, they're not competitive basically. And I think this was mm-hmm. in, it was either a weekly press or a post game. He said, in recruiting, these kids tell you what they're getting. Oregon State probably has us by 10 times. Arizona has us by 20 times. USC, Washington, Oregon, who even knows? It's a whole other planet. Dickert said he is very supportive of the players getting a piece of the puzzle and profiting off their NIL. But to think as a university and a program to be where we want to be, and we know we should be, it's going to be a huge part of it. It has to be, especially at the forefront of the football program. And, you know, that's obviously – somewhat coach speak we've heard it before but in season I think there's a lot of coaches around the country this season in particular 
that maybe thought they didn't have to dive headfirst into it and, and thought maybe they could, you know, they could survive without doing that. I think there's a lot of coaches, including Clark Lee, including Jake Dickert, at a lot of those programs, you know, that are kind of on the border that know they won't get all the money that they that they probably want to and need, but they've got to survive. Now they're probably trying to push forward and do whatever it takes now, right? And so I think there's been a shift, and Clark even talked about it on Tuesday. I don't know if you were there, Chris. Uh, I, I saw where Clark had mm-hmm. talked that he had brought up NIL, Transfer Portal, uh, and things like that. So, you know, there there's a mental shift there. I just thought it was interesting. Jake Dickert, I, I watched the video. There's a t- Twitter video about a couple of minutes long. I watched it. I, I kept, couldn't stop thinking about Vanderbilt and where they're at right now, too. Yeah. Right, you know. Luke, I, I want to ask you a question, um, and we both got – a little bit of knowledge on this that we probably can't get into, but if, if I had to, if, if you had to take a percentage of what Vanderbilt NIL was for football last year uh, and compare it to say the top third of the league in terms of the budget those schools had, what would you put Vanderbilt's budget for football NIL as a percentage of those of that top third? I've, I've got a, I've got a range in mind, but I want to let you speak before I give you my answer. Uh, it, it was around 10%. Of what everybody else I, I was thinking maybe more like two to five. And, and here's here's the I know I know they don't want to create a transactional program. And I get like I get a lot of the reasons that Clark Lee has, but I if you're to- going to be if you're gonna be we want to make this the best student athlete experience in the country, NL's the biggest thing going now. Why, why do you exempt that from that? If you want to make it the best and make your budget the best, and I know a lot of that's beyond his control. Most, if not all, of it's beyond his control at the moment. I, I, well, I shouldn't say that. It's never, it's never completely beyond a coach's control. But you see my point. Yeah. And I, I know people still have an objection to that. But you know, well, they should want to come here because it's Vanderbilt NIST. But a, the look at the history. That, that's what you're walking to. Look at the stadium you're walking into. When they go to hire professors, and people will probably take offense at this, and it's not an exact comparison, but it's to make a point. When they go hire law school professors um, or, or whatever, do they say, hey, you know, come come to Vanderbilt from Georgetown. We'll, we'll pay you 10% of what you made there, but, boy, it's Vanderbilt, and we're great. That's not how they approach it, and I, I just don't think you can approach football that way either. And, again, I get there's some limits. I get that there's some uh, perverse incentives provided by NL, paying kids up front once they got their bag. That, that breeds some questions about effort and chemistry. I get all those things. Uh, but in the bigger picture, that's that's where they are. Yeah. All right, that'll that'll do it for football. That's uh, there were a lot of basketball, Chris, just kind of floating around. A lot of people asked three or four questions of their own, but uh, yeah, Vanderbilt does have South Carolina, a trip to Columbia on Saturday, and it's interesting. Last year, after a home loss, home basketball loss to a non-conference opponent. The next weekend, that next Saturday, Vanderbilt and went and won a road football game. So, again, I don't know. I don't think that's. Uh, it might happen. Who knows? But just a little, uh, little history there. Short history. Yeah, it, it would be good for the the mentality to have something positive happen at the end of the year. But again, the most important thing, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, is not necessarily wins and losses right now. Uh, it's what happens at the end of this season because it's going to tell yeah. a whole. Clark's future and the future of the program. 
I was going to ask for parting thoughts. Uh, Luke, did, did you want that to be yours or do you have something else? That can be mine. Okay. Billy. Yeah. I, same, same sort of thing. Uh, and, you know, I've been pointing to this for the last two or three weeks uh, you know, about this offseason. I think it's probably going to be more entertaining than the actual season. No disrespect intended. But, I mean, I, I think that would be a good thing for this program, that you do have an entertaining offseason. You have a, a, an offseason filled with headlines. And there's people around the country that start to take notice at what Vanderbilt's doing, you know, because they certainly weren't doing that this year during the season with the product on the field. So there's gonna, there's gonna, a lot's going to happen. And, and I think uh, I, I want fans to be ready. I want, you know, I, I think we're ready, uh, but I, I just want people to be prepared for, for, for what could happen this off season uh, because, you know, there's going to be some negative with attrition, but I think there's going to be some positive with, with some players and coaches coming in. So it should be interesting. Yeah, here's my thought. It's it's firing season. That's in the air. I, I get it. That's what happens when you don't win or lose. And I'm not even saying it's unjustified or, or that there aren't people that need to go. But it's always the, okay, what next? What next? Um, You, you got an issue, okay, guys? You, you need to make sure, and, and my goodness, this was a discussion on our board last night. I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds. But, it, again, it's who is, who's hiring the people. And are, are you confident you got the right person or people hiring the people? Because if you're not, and you're not going to make a change there immediately, what are you doing? Um, you're letting that person hire coaches for somebody else to come over and take over. And again, I, I point to their hiring process for coaches. We couldn't name a good one they've hired uh, without going back 15 years now. And, and that's where they are. So. There's a lot of stuff to unpack here. I get a lot of text messages and, and phone calls, and there's a lot of doubt creeping in about Daniel Deermeyer. I'm not saying it's fair. I don't know what's fair. I don't know what's not. But the longer you lose, the longer you stick by. These are the people that we're gonna we're gonna make as the rocks of our program. They're gonna make our decisions. These are our people. Uh, I always said, and I've managed people before. Uh, when, when there's a problem at first. It, it's another person problem. Like, Billy, if you're working for me and you're out there, you know, doing something in press conferences that's that's inappropriate or whatever, that that's a you problem at first until I know about it, then becomes a me problem. Right. Um, the, the minute it becomes a me problem, it continues to be a me problem. In other words, if you're out there doing the same thing that you've done and we're getting the same results, that's on me at this point. And, and I think they let this go on. People yelled at Derek Mason for a long time. And I felt bad for Derek because Derek was probably doing the best of his ability when you keep putting a guy out there and and they're just not right for the job. Uh, your criticism should go to the people above his head who let him stick around. That's the situation Vanderbilt finds itself in. Um, I think if you're going to start firing coaches, you better make sure that the person in charge is the person you're going to anchor your – endeavors to for the new future otherwise if you get that reversed um then then you create problems in in multiple ways and i'll just leave it there look look can i say i, I know i said i was done but i do want to say one more thing for everyone out there who doesn't think clark is the guy or whatever that's fine but i will tell you this when clark knows that he can't succeed he'll walk yeah i, I promise you 
Well, and, and here's here's the other thing, and I've, I've talked to people on committees that make these decisions, and I don't mean the the one that they threw out for show when they hired the AD with, you know, that I called the Noah's Ark committee with a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, I mean, the people that make decisions, and, and, and the criteria are always the same. When they're, when they're picking a new person for a job, um, it, it either checks boxes or it is somebody that it's always phrased this way that we can work with that, that understands available in the way we do things there. Uh, that, that's, that's always been the nature of their hires. They do not want somebody who's going to come in and rock the boat. They want somebody who can, can take their orders and do things like the school wants them done. Uh, that dictated the last few hires in athletics, um, and tool culture changes that will dictate the ones going forward as well. <laughs> All right. Ice cream. <laughs> Happy times. <laughs> Go get ice cream. Cheer up. Um, thank you for I got listening my, to the uh, Sports Podcast. Yeah. I got my Mayfield uh, Moose Tracks, Chris. Good. That's, that's a good start. Well, uh, we thank our audience. We thank our sponsors. I thank Luke and I thank Billy. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll see you again soon.